Welcome back to Generals and Napoleon, episode 63, the Napoleon Movie Review. Before we begin, I'd like to remind all of our listeners that if you'd like to support the podcast, please check us out on patreon.com forward slash Generals and Napoleon. You can also give us a follow on YouTube, Spotify, Facebook, and Instagram. As always, we really appreciate your support. Now, on with the show. We have a very special guest back. I don't know. Is this the five, fifth or sixth time, Marcus Cribb, that you're on the show? I think sixth. Thank you sixth. so much. Wow. Keep having me back. Yeah, we've done Waterloo <laughs> and uh, Wellington and a few generals, and we're, we're on to something quite different today. We are, indeed. This is our first uh, movie review on Generals and Napoleon. And what film are we reviewing today? I think it might be Napoleon by Ridley Scott. Yes. Sir Ridley Scott. Sir Ridley, Sir Ridley Scott. Scott. Well, if he keeps yeah. his knighthood after this. <laughs> That's debatable, yeah. We haven't seen if Charles has seen it yet. Right, right, right. Um, for those of you not familiar with Marcus, uh, he has a great Twitter page, um, M Crib History, right? That's the handle? That's me on Twitter, X, whatever they want to call it these days. I'm on there doing my history thing. Yep, and dukeofwellington.org as well. If you want to find out more about Marcus, you can check that out. And he also does Waterloo Battlefield Tours and... Spoiler alert to the movie, Napoleon loses Waterloo once again. So uh, that that's my only spoiler. We're going to try and not do spoilers for the first 10 minutes of this review. Right, Marcus? Right. That's what we said. We'll, we'll try to do some nice movie star reviews like uh, you used to have on TV. And then uh, we'll get into the nitty gritty for the, uh, the history nerds like you and I. Right. So ten, first 10 minutes, spoiler free. Um, and then we'll kind of dive into the details of the film. Okay. We'll best. On a scale of one to ten, without being too too harsh, like the worst movie you saw is a one, and the best movie you've ever seen is a ten. Where would you put this at? This this is low, I'm afraid. This is a three or four. Okay. This is, this is down there. This is this is down there with the low budgets that don't end up being funny. Um, <laughs> my my attention's not held, and I think the problem is. I, obviously, everyone goes in with high expectations. It's Ridley Scott. It's a guy who's given us Gladiator, the duelist. He's given us some great films. Yep. yep. And then, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Ridley Scott fan. Uh, Black Hawk Down, Blade oh, Runner, The Martian. Yeah, great film. Yep. Very funny. Delivered yep. well. Uh, yep. But I kind, of, I kind of went in with Gladiator in mind because it's a historic epic. It's Aquin Phoenix. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted. And, you know, Ancient Rome's not my era. I know there were no chariots in the Colosseum. I know that's not how uh, some of the characters died and things. But it's an amazing film. The movie score's amazing. It's a spectacle. You're, the crowd's roaring for blood. I think most yep. people like Gladiator. There's something to like about it, at least. Indeed. That's what this I one, it's not yeah, I yeah, I agree. And I gave it a 6 out of 10 was my first initial, like mm-hmm. when I got out of the movie theater, because I took my teenage kids... They seem to like it. I, I give it a six out of ten, but the more I think about it, I'm leaning more like you, like a five or a four. Yeah. And we'll get into why here in a little bit. Um, let's go over with some basics. Um, let's start with cinematography. You know, and, and you you've worked on, on on production sets. Did you like the lighting and the framing and the camera work? I'd say the majority of yeah. Disclaimer, you know, I, I worked on mostly as 
and I still sometimes do uh, when I'm I work in heritage, so historic buildings, and properties, and places rent us out. So that's my side, you know, making sure that things are protected or we can do certain things and working with them rather than anything too creative. Uh, but I have worked on some TV and film. Uh, yeah, so I think it, it is quite a nicely set piece. I think one of the stars of the show is always going to be their locations. Mm -hmm. uh, they had historic houses, uh, as as I like to see, and places like Malta. Mm -hmm. that's that's a beautiful location and that fits in really well with a couple of the battles i think you use malta for uh, two different uh, locations uh there's a few that feel a bit funny there's blatantly like an english parkland that's meant to be the south of france and those are slightly different terrains but you can excuse it like you can right. excuse the field for right. for that when it's it's not important the geography there is not important to the, the plot uh there's certainly some good special effects for doing some of the winter scenes and things like that i thought but yeah. what do you feel about like history often having this blue filter they dull the colors down for anything that wasn't like set before 1960. yeah i didn't like that i didn't like the battle scenes kind of being painted with like a gray brush like a gray mm. scale i didn't like that um but i thought the blocking was good i thought you know the overhead look of Borodino was neat i wish it would have been a longer uh, battle scene maybe maybe the four hour version the director's cut it will be yeah that's something we're saying that i think a lot of people are talking about is this is about two and a half hours and they're talking about bringing out a streaming version that's four hours but yeah. i'll come into why that might not necessarily be a positive from my perspective right and i love to stand on a soapbox and say oh i'm not going to see it but i'll watch it i know I'll watch, I'll, yeah. I'll watch it yeah um no i thought i thought cinematography was fine what i really liked is my next category which is costumes i thought the Hussars looked like Hussars. I thought Napoleon's outfits were good. I thought Josephine looked like Josephine. What did you think of the costume? Uh, yeah, work? yeah, I think that's definitely one of the, the strong points. Uh, I, I wasn't there to count buttons, as they say, you know, from a historical perspective. I wasn't looking that closely. I saw one review from a, a historian of uh, clothing who was like, oh, you can tell that they've all been made by sewing machine rather than by hand. Right. I didn't. I didn't get that level of detail. Uh, I thought they looked really good, mm. uh, especially uh, Vanessa Kirby's is uh, Josephine. Yep, uh, that seemed very good. Obviously, you got the famous uh, Napoleon uniforms, great coats, bicorn hat turned sideways. You see him turn it sideways. Yep. Those little, those little bits, good. Uh, certainly, the soldiers seem to be mostly dressed pretty well. There's a couple of like quite slouchy bags where they'd probably have them up a bit tight but you can excuse all those kind of things yeah i think costumes quite a strong point you did there wasn't like some sort of glaring error that you spotted somebody walking around in trainers like they're famously <laughs> in it's there's and it, it added some rich color where you've got malta and uh, yeah the coronation setting. the coronation yeah. was like a artwork come alive it was beautiful that that, that was going to be one of my things for a positive the coronation scene yeah. uh, it, it was made out to be like the famous painting uh you saw the side is on you saw the painter uh, we'll try to spoil it free uh but it's <laughs> hard uh but it, it did it looked very rich it looked very vivid that part was relatively exciting i think the costumes the costumes there uh but like you say as soon as you go into battle it's like this blue gray brush they put over everything you're like oh okay yeah. i was i'm not necessarily sure and it, it it's often often happens that anything that's kind of set before the 1960s you know the flower power mo movement apparently brought color to the world literally and i'm like <laughs> well when you've got like hazar in vivid blue with gold braid he's gonna be blingy you know right <laughs> it's gonna be he's gonna stand out. yeah 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 
Um, yeah, I agree with all that. Um, yeah, I thought they did a nice job, the costume department. So uh, 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 kudos to that group. Um, the music, I was hoping for something like Gladiator, where it would be stuck in my brain or or, or Star Wars or, or well, maybe not Star Wars, but so, you know what I mean? Like something that would stick with me. Now, I didn't think the music was very emotion evoking. I don't know about you. No, 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 exactly the same. Gladiator is my go-to there because it's Ridley Scott, because it's a historical epic. Yep. Everybody kind of, if you've seen Gladiator once or definitely you've probably seen Gladiator five times, you can hum the theme tune. You might know, I think it's the Ennius ending with these... Um, you know, kind of walking through the fields. Yep. It's an amazing tune. It builds, it's variations on a theme that they reuse at different times. Yeah. It's probably one of the big played ones that you get on like the top 100 list. It's great. I I don't know about you. I've seen the film two days ago. Can't remember the music. Yeah. That, that'd be my test. Forgettable. Yeah. It, and it, they played some like French songs kind of like around the Survivor's Ball and around like mm-hmm. the opening with Marie Antoinette. So they, they played some like old French songs, which great, you know, you incorporate some of that, but I just don't remember any of the actual music being stirring, you know, like, oh, that's no. pretty cool. Yeah. You don't have in your head a huge opera with hundreds of violinists and it's building and, right. and, and it's got the atmosphere and then you're waiting for a crescendo. That, I, I don't remember there being that at all. Maybe I was focusing quite a lot on what was on screen, but right. I kind of, somebody said to me, the other day, oh, the music was really forgettable. And I was kind of like, what music? You know, <laughs> very background in yeah. my mind. I was like, I don't, if I don't remember it, it doesn't pass the, the old grey whistle test that we talk about. You can, you couldn't hum the Napoleon theme tune, sadly. Right, right. And that, that's, that is a huge part. Like, there's a lot of normal rock pop songs that I'll listen to. You mentioned Black Hawk Down. Yeah. I know that they fly in to a cover of uh, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. I, I, I like Jimi Hendrix, so I play that. Yeah. Voodoo Child. Yeah. You know, the, those songs in there yeah. like, have an impact upon culture and things or, like that. Yeah, like um, uh, Apocalypse Now, Flight of the Valkyries, when the helicopters fly in. Like, it's it's right. it's like, wow, okay, that really stuck with me. Yeah. A really good example. Yeah. People know Ride of the Valkyries yeah. more from Apocalypse Now than possibly possibly if you know, like me uh, then from classical music listening <laughs> right, and, right and one of the trailers for napoleon had uh, black sabbath had war pigs mm-hmm. which uh i thought was a good good song choice right you know? right uh last thing on writing and, and we're, we're not up to my 10 minute mark yet so we're not going to give too many spoilers away david scarper wrote the script in fairness to him it is very very hard to write a two and a half hour movie of a guy who lived 51 years and who was in power yeah. 15 of those years. So I, I understand how hard that must have been to write the script, but even the dialogue with Josephine Napoleon, it seemed very strained. It didn't seem real. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, I didn't buy it. Yes. Well, obviously I was taught if I don't have anything polite to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> uh, so the positives, I think I quite liked in some scenes, obviously spoiler free, in some scenes, Napoleon's away from Paris mm-hmm. and he's and they read out, um, Phoenix has got a voiceover, reading out some of his letters to Josephine. Mm-hmm. I think that adds quite a lot to it. That was well done. Yeah, indeed. And that builds up an idea of correspondence and how it would have worked then and their, and their troubled uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. So the positives to me... the the big one the thing that gives it any star rating it was a napoleon and josephine movie for me Mm -hmm. 
if not Josephine and Napoleon, because I think Vanessa Kirby, this is my controversial angle, Vanessa Kirby was the better actor, actress in this. I think you might be right. And and not that that's a slight on Joaquin Phoenix. I think just she had better lines to work with, better dialogue. She might have had better lines or she delivered it better. I don't know what it is. She was the star. And to me, she would be the one that I would be like, ah, she should be nominated for some of the big awards, Mm -hmm. the Oscars and things like that. Uh, Phoenix... He felt very stiff. Yeah. Uh, his lines, there were bits that were, again, uh, before spoilers, there were some bits that were almost comic. Yeah. Uh, comically delivered, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, she was great. So, but some of their lines, it was a bit clunky. It was a bit. F- they, they, they were, <laughs> I've seen one theory online that it was almost, yeah, it was almost a comedy to some people. If they watched it again, they'd be like, was Phoenix trying to make it? comedic yeah or, or or was ridley scott trying to slight the memory of napoleon and say he was he wasn't anything big you know and this is my slam job on his reputation uh, we'll come to that let's <laughs> say. <laughs> i can't do that without spoilers right, uh, right. but you're you're right there's, there's elements there the script the script wasn't strong no. I'm being, if i'm being nice no um, it wasn't to, i i can't write a, i can't write a movie script so i'm not going to rip apart somebody's career uh but it wasn't a strong element of the film. I agree. I agree. Okay. Maybe that's the edit, but All right. um, we, we... So, and so maybe some of the casting uh, saves some elements. Like I say, Vanessa Kirby, initially, everyone's like, oh, she's far too young to be uh, Josephine. Actually, she carries it. Yeah, she does. She makes it work. So credit, kudos yeah. and credit to her. Credit to her. Yes. Some of the other ones, uh, there were some, there were some quite good uh, English actors that, uh, and the reason I say that is, because it was quite surprising to see some of the characters being like, oh, they were in something that I watched like 15 years ago. I haven't seen them in much recently. Uh, there's a British comedian called Miles Jupp who appears as the emperor of the Austrians. And I was like, okay, that's unexpected. Yeah, and I, and I, saw, I saw something online. The one French actor was Zara Alexander, the Russian. So, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there, there was some okay casting. Uh, there was some certainly, I think, some quite small screen uh, British actors that might not, uh, translate that were quite nicely surprising to see right uh, from my point of view um the negatives of that uh, this is mostly for for john's benefit is i i didn't feel that some of the marshals really stood out around uh, napoleon no they did not and uh we will jump into that now because we are at our 10 minute mark all right okay spoiler alert go. time are we, we okay go. all right thank you everyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah right we'll, we'll also put our little should we put our little caveats in as well yeah spoiler alert this is where i'll put the commercial another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I'll say, you know, 
I I hold anti-Bonapartist uh, views. I think that's well publicized. Yeah, and I'm a pro-Bonapartist, uh, so this is... This he's pro-Bonapartist. Yeah. I'm not a uh, academically trained historian, but Nor I have I. I did on the battlefields. Yeah. I did manage the Duke of Wellington's house on very pro-Wellington. Um, and and uh, he has been to Waterloo many times. Are there trenches there, Marcus? Should we start with Waterloo? <laughs> <laughs> no, because okay. I, I don't want you to get too angry. This is not... The okay. History Rage podcast. So shout out to them. I love their podcast. This yes, is thank you, Paul and Carl. So let's start. I It starts with the French Revolution, and they show the decapitation of Marie Antoinette. And I kind of, mm -hmm. I understand why they put that in the movie. They want to grab your attention, and they want to show how chaotic of a time it was in France. Did you think that needed to be in there? So, oh, don't know if it needed to be in. I, I, I liked the beginning of the film. Okay. I genuinely did. Uh, I went in, maybe I was because I was going in with, with an open mind. Mm -hmm. I was going in, I wanted entertainment more than history. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted, like I said, I wanted a gladiator. I wanted to, like Russell Crowe says, are you not entertained? Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted that. And seeing, it didn't need, in many ways, it didn't need to be Marie Antoinette. It right. could have been a aristocrat. Yeah, you know, it could have been uh, Josephine's husband. I think that would have been more interesting. Like That would have been more interesting. Yeah. Uh, and Napoleon was certainly in Paris at certain times during the revolution. I think he was mostly out, actually outside the city during the, the terror. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we know about the whiff grape shots uh, part later. But yeah, I, I think it captured the attention. The guillotine is very evocative uh, yep. as a you know, a way, a way of execution. Uh, it, it starts with a nice, it was probably, it had some jolly kind of French music in the background and right. it was probably a good way to draw it in with a big crowd, lots of people cheering, uh, people bloodlusting uh, for an execution is always something that I find quite interesting when I talk about uh, the fate of people in London. Yeah. When I used to give tours. And I compare it to when you see a car crash by the side of the road, what do most people do? They slow down to watch it. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. if we had gladiatorial games or a guillotine today, would people go and see it? I think it would surprise you. Yeah. So um, I, think that's a, I think it was a good opening scene. I think the French Revolution was really important for context. And though Napoleon wasn't at Marie Antoinette, it's one of those ones that you're like, well, he's not like he was pulling the rope to execute her and he right. was a bystander. So it's kind of one of those ones that you're like, you can let that go. It's, yeah, enter it's entertaining. Yep. And from there, um, just, just so we don't rehash every you know, blow by blow, but they kind of introduced us to Paul Barat. And I thought that actor did a really good job, the guy who played Barat. Yeah, he, he steers a lot of the first half of the film. Yep. Um, he kind of, you see where it takes Napoleon's career and uh, him and uh, Lucien Bonaparte. There's a nice little kind of like, uh three-way friendship going on there and uh yeah it, it makes sense about some of the uh, the early actions and his career so again probably quite good casting uh the the hair certainly seemed quite recognizable so yep. yeah good yep. good stuff good stuff okay. so far so far so far so good and we moved now and bra says hey we can't lose too long because if the british take over and the royalists take over that'll ruin the revolution so napoleon's dispatched down there as basically the artillery commander but not the overall commander and i did like the part where he gets there and he's pulling artillery from around france because that's true they didn't have enough to take these forts around the the harbor so i did like that and that was really the only bit of strategy and this is one of my gripes with the movie 
Napoleon's supposed to be a strategic genius. Mm. I wish they would have showed somehow like his mind, how it worked and how he saw a battlefield, like almost like a beautiful mind like that. Like when Russell yeah. Crowe's doing like, that would Honestly, have been neat to me. A beautiful mind or in the Sherlock film, he has his mind, oh, sorry, his TV series, he has his mind palace and he's like pulling out bits of information. Yeah. Something like that, like or maybe his mind—he shows maps because he's quite right. good at topography. Right. Uh, but yeah, you—you—you you, you see him like organizing artillery and being a bit dynamic, and that yeah. doesn't happen in any of the other battles. Yeah, yeah. He just kind of orders the artillery to open fire. In fact, at the Battle of the Pyramids, you only have the first shot of the cannon, and then that's it. Done. Yeah. Again, why is that scene in there? Yeah, but we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, and they show him, and you mentioned this before. He's kind of dressed as a commoner spying on the, the garrison at Toulon. And you know, he did spy on enemy formations as he did at Vagram with Messina. We don't know about Toulon, right? I don't, yeah, I, I know he you know, he's meant to have crawled on the, one of his eastern fronts. He's meant to have crawled forward and almost be captured. Uh, I don't believe it happened at Toulon. It didn't add much. It didn't detract much. It was mm -hmm. like, okay. I think my big thing with Toulon is that they could have added something really simple and it would have added a lot to it, which was him being wounded, which happened yep. in the thigh by a, by a sergeant, by a British sergeant. Yep. And it wasn't like, oh, it's not in the edit because you see him the next day and he's not limping. Yeah. Uh, the, there's a, there's, we're on full spoilers now. So there's a scene where his horse is killed under him. Yeah, very gory. Uh, which horse. is really gory because it's like yeah. the third scene of the film. And it's like, right. Right, I'm like, okay, well, they got my attention again if they want gore. You know, that's, that's probably the most I sat up and, like, I'm paying attention now. Uh, yeah. If you're a horse lover, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not nice. Yeah, <laughs> this is nasty. not the movie for you if you're a horse lover. Yeah. Uh, and then there was a bit where they're meant to be loaded. You see them talk about loading heated shot to burn the British fleet, which doesn't mm -hmm. really happen. Uh, and I love the fact they're loading the... Uh, the heated shot, which isn't glowing, so heated shot basically cannonballs that are non-explosive that are on fires, and they get them really hot, and then load them in so that they'll burn wood and things. Yeah, and you don't see them loading them up. You do see the ships burning, and then you see them loading them by hand. You're like, oh, they would have nice <laughs> the smell of raw flesh coming off their right. hands there. Second degree burns, right? Yeah. yeah. Ooh, but there is a cool scene that I did like. They show him right before the Toulon attack. And he's nervous. He's just kind of jittery because this is like his first real command attack. And I like that they showed that he was nervous in that battle and he was more calm in the other ones. It is good to kind of humanize these people a bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not just to take Napoleon down a peg or two, but he was a man, not a, a demigod. Uh, yeah. And so he would have gone through, you know, some genuine real emotions. Yeah. And, you know, he was promoted to Brigadier General. Uh, so that part was good uh, after too long. I think that might have happened before too long, though, or, or somewhere. Yeah, I think it was before the attack. But it, yeah, the, the opening parts, overall, I think the film starts okay. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, First, it's just above mediocre. It's like, yeah. okay, it's, this could be an all right film. Yeah, yeah. So far, no problems, major. Um, they briefly touch on Robespierre back in Paris. They show him shooting himself in the head, uh, which, again, shows the general chaos of the French government. But it's very hard if you're not... A Napoleon or, or Napoleonic age follower, you know, like which government is this? Who's in charge now? It's very hard to figure. And maybe that's what they were trying to convey that it was chaotic, but there's a directory, there's the public, of, uh, um, the committee on public safety, there's the three councils. So it's kind of hard to figure out who's in charge when you're watching the movie. And they don't really explain who Robespierre is. He's effectively the kind of dictator of France at that point. It looks a little bit more like a modern parliament. Um, 
Senate maybe in America or the House of Commons here with the Speaker. And you're like, well, actually, that's not really how it's being run. Um, and it, it does become quite political and social. Mm-hmm. Uh, frankly, uh, I would have been quite happy if they'd left the battle scenes after too long. Like, yeah. we've got that one. He's a general. Let's let's do the politics. Um, right. They, but now we don't. Uh, though we do get introduced about this time to Josephine at the Survivor's yeah. Ball you mentioned earlier. And, yeah, yeah. And there's a nicely set. There's big lavish affairs and mm. uh, parties and costumes and music. Uh, mm. We're used to Vanessa Kirby. Again, she's younger. Mm. Um, something that's a little bit uncomfortable to watch, maybe if you're with your family, um, is they, right. sh- they show her that she's she's sexually experienced and he's not. So yeah. I don't and know I how you unwrap that part. watching that with your, with your children. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is definitely an R-rated movie. Um, but I, I did like that they showed him being awkward at parties and social gatherings. Like, he's almost like a wallflower. Like, he doesn't know how to interact with anybody. Yeah. So yeah. I, I did like like that. I think it's even in uh, Andrew Roberts's biography that he famously goes out in Paris with his money and fails to get laid in Paris tr- trying to hire a prostitute. Uh, he just kind of is quite awkward as a young man. So yeah, yeah. there's elements yeah. kind of there's elements that tie together at the beginning, and the more that we get of that early relationship with uh, Josephine, I think the better. The, the, the movie really now could have been more of a personal and social history and moved away from the military. Yeah. Uh, because it gets worse. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, and, and they show a brief courtship with uh, Josephine and Napoleon, which is fine. They don't have a lot of time to dedicate to it. So that's fine. You can fast forward through that. Uh, there's a small wedding. And then I thought it was kind of cute or maybe it's spot on. You know, Napoleon's trying to kiss her during the, the ceremony and she's kind of pulling away. Like, I don't think she loved him at this point. She was just looking for safety and security. Right. She'd why. almost been executed. Uh, right. Her husband right. had been executed. She needed somebody, and he's a he's a general now. So right, right. And as soon as he's in Egypt, she's with Hippolyte Charles, the Hussarga, the cavalryman. Yeah, and and you see that uh, you see his you see her affairs, and then fast forward uh, halfway through the film, he confronts her, and she says, "Well, you've had affairs," and they kind of have to have a bit of an argument about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and speaking of fast forward. I hope this is in the four hour version, but Italy's nowhere in there. And that's where he makes his name. That's where Napoleon becomes Napoleon. I mean, yeah, they, it's not mentioned at all. They do show um, the um, revolt in Paris in 1795 briefly. Uh, yeah. You know, Barras, Barras says, Hey, I need you. Can you put this revolt down? And he's like, yes, but if only if I have total control, which was accurate. And yes, he did blow people's heads off with cannons. I wish, they could have snuck Murat in there and have him go into Sablon to get the cannons, but they didn't. I wish they would have. No Murat there. Uh, I, I always find it interesting because it's about the second or third time that Paris looks suspiciously like Greenwich Old Naval College in uh, in London. Uh, <laughs> and that gets used a lot for filming. It's a beautiful location. They use it in Poldark. I think they even use it in one of the Thor uh, Marvel films. Uh, right. But they use they use the same bit, which is the central like courtyard of the Old Naval College, twice to be Paris. I'm not mm. sure it's meant to be the same bit of Paris. And you're like, okay, yeah, it's really nice. Right. But uh, yeah, they, like, one of the things, one of the few like, kind of military scenes that they do well, they show the effects of grape shop on the uh, French, oh. French civilians quite well. Yeah, yeah, that's what it would have looked like. Like not yeah. everyone dies, but some, there's like a lady dragging herself away with two legs missing. And, and, oh, right. Yeah. 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 That's, that's and again, one. that's grabbing your attention. You're like, good God. You know, this is a brutal time to be alive, right there. Yeah, yeah. there's the whiff of grape shot moment. I don't think he actually gets the quote in. I was waiting for the uh, that quote to come through. 
Yeah, um, but even that scene, they could have done more strategy because I, I remember reading about it and like Napoleon had the cannon sighted. So when the crowd fell back, they'd fall back into more cannons and then more muskets and then the cavalry would charge. And there wasn't any of that. It was just one cannon. One, one cannon, like volley, that's it. Yeah, and you love cannons. I like cannons, yeah. I was going to say, it's not even a volley, it's a salvo. I'm picking myself up it. Uh, yeah, yeah it, it's just one load, and he kind of does this thing that you see in, I think, about three shots where he puts his hands over both ears, yeah. his elbows out. I don't know. There was definitely a thing that Ridley Scott's trying to do on purpose there to show a repetition of the um, battles with this this view. Him suddenly, uh, Phoenix really straight on, hat on sideways, hands over his yeah. ears, cannons fire. You see it in... Uh, Egypt, you see it in Waterloo. I'm not sure yeah. you see it in Oslet. Uh, yeah, I wonder if, I mean, Napoleon was in, God, how many battles? I, I doubt he covered his ears every time artillery went off. No. You know? And he's like right in the middle of the cannons every time, which, yeah. No, you want to stand back a little bit because shock waves and sound goes forwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although, give Ridley Scott credit, the cannons did recoil in this movie. True. Think about it. Yeah. There's a lot of films where they don't, where they just put like a firework down the barrel. Yeah. <laughs> So give him, uh, give him a point on that, one point there. Um, so yeah, from there, they go to Egypt. Uh, like I said, they skip over Italy entirely. Uh, for whatever reason, General Junot has more lines than Marshal Ney or Davout. Yeah. Um, but he's there, and he tells Napoleon that Josephine is cheating on him, and at first, Napoleon can't believe it, and then Junot says, no, I'm, I'm being serious. And they hop on a boat, and he's like, I have to get back to France. And I, it's fine if you want to make it the love story, but that's not why he went back to France. No, um, he, he's going back for very different reasons. We get very little in Egypt. We get like the Battle of the Pyramids, famously, it's in, I think it's in the trailer as well. He mm. he fires a cannon, one shot, hits the top of the pyramids. Well, the Battle of the Pyramids didn't actually take place at the bottom of the pyramids. Correct. And yeah, there's not a lot to like there. No, like, no. They, did, they do a long scene with the mummy, a short scene with the battle. Neither yeah. of which seem to be done brilliantly uh, you I, would say before we came on that there was yeah i did like the mummy. imagery about the mummy did you want to i did and here's why i, I think he was kind of like looking into a mirror in a way with the the it, I, I assume he's like a pharaoh or a very important person they find like a mummy in a tomb and i said i think ridley put that in there because one life is short and two glory is fleeting and napoleon's kind of looking at this mummy and as he tries to touch him the mummy kind of like falls to the side yeah. so it's almost like is he saying that Napoleon wants to be a mass, like a all powerful Pharaoh and he's never going to be one. Or I, I thought that scene was interesting. I wish they would have stuck with that a little bit longer. Uh, yeah. And I couldn't tell if the mummy falling to the side was meant to be funny or if it's meant to be like symbol, you know, symbolic. Of symbolic. He doesn't yeah. quite touch that power. Um, he puts his hat on the sarcophagus, which makes him look like the, the mummy's Napoleon. He put, he stands on a box, which I was like, oh, is that a nod to him being short? obviously his average height so yeah and then and then he's back he's back to confront josephine but then yep. all of a sudden we actually come on to what i thought was probably apart from the coronation the best scene uh the coup de brumet oh yeah the coup was great um but by the way uh you admiral nelson lovers there is no battle of the nile or no. Tra or trafalgar yeah. two and a million pound budget uh very few boats <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> But yeah, the um, the coup was very well done. I thought. Um, you see him bu bungle it, and his brother save it, right? And I love that scene where uh, Lucian was like holding the sword against his chest, and 
he says, you know, I'll, I forget what the line is, but I'll, I'll run the sword through my brother for everything. He'll become a tyrant. And then Lucian kind of makes his face is like, well, let's see what they think about that. That actually yeah. was genuinely funny. And I think that was quite well delivered, but that was more, uh, I don't remember his name, the actor played Lucian uh, Bonaparte. And they kind of, yeah, he does a, oh, I don't really mean it, but let's yeah. see what the lads think. And they all turn around with their mustaches and uh, bearskin hats and charge in. Yeah, and, that part uh, was great. I like that part. Yeah, and I think that was quite good. And I think that's when we start to see uh, what Ridley Scott's interpretation of Bonaparte is a bit more, which is a man who's pushing power rather than a man of destiny. Right. Uh, and that's actually something I could relate to. You know, I, I, I don't like Napoleon. <laughs> I think he was pushing power. I think he was a tyrant. Right. Uh, we've, we've covered that before. But right. uh, I, 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 can, I can reflect there what he was trying to do. Uh, I, I, this doesn't seem inaccurate to go, well, this was a military coup. He went in there. He didn't do it very well. And then he forced the bayonet point, the end of, like, a very bad working democracy, but he forced the end of that. And that was quite nicely done. You saw the costumes were really good in that scene because the uh, directory all had these weird like Roman togas and they were showing that. And then they, they also show, which was true when Napoleon got back home, you know, Josephine's crying at his door and he finally relents and says, you know, and they kind of show their dynamic, which maybe that's what Ridley Scott was trying to show is, her dominance over him, but he dominated everything else. Maybe that was like the juxtaposition he was trying to convey to the audience. Like, here's this great man who controlled Europe, but he couldn't, con his, his wife dominated him. I, I don't know what the, the dynamic was. Then. Well, let, let's dive into that because um, okay. it would be so easy. We could just, we could do every like scene of this film. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, I think Josephine and Vanessa Kirby really were, was the highlight. Uh, she had mm -hmm. talked about the script. I think she acted it better, but I think it's quite an engaging story. I think mm. it's something that could be delivered on the big screen without like the need for huge budget and special effects. And we've got, you know, some of the written evidence of the letters between them. So it can be relatively accurate mm -hmm. and it, it's quite engaging. It's, uh, it's two people falling in love for different reasons and then having some really difficult times falling out of love, possibly, you know, falling back in. Uh, and it was quite well. They they showed the ups and downs of the relationship, the near divorce, uh, yep. back into love, so marriage. And he's pestering her about having an heir over dinner, you know. Right, yeah. And he's like, he, he, they get down to it under the dinner table. And and then he's talking about uh, fertility over a drinks party with everyone there. And yeah. those kind of things, you're like, oh, it's, it's a little bit awkward. But then you also, like we said earlier, he, you feel his uh, awkwardness uh there uh, there's a scene where he kind of tries to make i think like animal noises in the bedroom with her servants yeah, around that was weird too that was weird um yeah. there's quite a few like awkward sex scenes uh, i did say yeah. to someone was like uh, they were like oh, i'm gonna go see this with my son i was like oh, okay it's gonna be really awkward <laughs> yeah yeah but um i thought oh, that was good and I, I personally if they cut back and I, i'm a man who likes my my military films, you know, I'm very stereotypical, right. yada, yada. Uh, if they cut out the battle scenes and done a Josephine and Napoleon, mm -hmm. I would have thought I probably would have ended up with a better film. Those scenes were yeah, stronger. I think, and I think that's one of my problems with it. And it. The movie doesn't seem like it knows where it wants to go. Do we focus on Napoleon and Josephine? Do we focus on the battles? Do we focus on the diplomacy with Talleyrand? Or do we focus on, you know, the overall scheme of things? Yeah. I read a review, and I, I God, I don't know the critic or, or Twitter handle who, who wrote it, and I thought it was brilliant. 
It's like going on a bus tour of Napoleon's life, but they don't let you off the bus to look at anything too closely. <laughs> like you're zooming through his life on a bus tour, but you're not allowed to get off the bus. Yeah, I've seen those. Uh, I've seen basketball tour guys who do that. Um, <laughs> actually, yeah. no companies. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah that I, that kind of is because you you build up. There's like a long scene. Say it's like four or five minutes, which is relatively long, of two people sat on a sofa, quite intimate, mm. and they yep. discuss that. And then the next scene is. Napoleon riding on a campaign. Yeah. The good bit is the voiceover of him reading his letters to her. Yeah. Yeah. But then yeah. you're kind of moving between that intimate to the grand scale. And mm -hmm. yeah, they like say it doesn't quite know what it wants to be. Uh, right. I think they would have almost been better to kind of had him riding on campaign, skip the battle, have him coming back. Or just have yeah. like, just the battle in his mind's eye rather than actually let's let's do an eagle eye view of Borodino because Napoleon didn't see Borodino from the air, from a helicopter, yeah. from a drone. You know, he's right. the, the high, you know the most he could see was from his horse on a hill. So, yeah, why are we getting these shots? Well, uh, since you brought it up, let's talk about the first major. Well, I guess the second major battle would be Austerlitz. Yeah, this is this is a big one. All right, all right. Let, let <laughs> let's pretend we know nothing. All right, it's a very cool scene. The ice breaking is very dramatic. The the Tsar and the king, the uh, Emperor of Austria talking beforehand, they think it's going to be a pushover. Napoleon's going to get destroyed, which was accurate. They're very overconfident. Yeah. Um, so as an outsider looking and knowing nothing about it, you might say, oh, well, that was interesting. And there's talk of high ground and there's a little bit of strategy. But you and I know, <laughs> I don't know why they showed them attacking their tents in their camp. I don't know why that that was in there. No. Um, and I think if I was trying to park any knowledge of the battle, I would say, oh, okay, why did the, the Austrian-Russian army march across the frozen river? You know, surely mm -hmm. they'd be going, oh, this this area is marked on a map as a river, uh, or right. our scouts have gone out. They, they see their right. scouts. That's in the scene the right. day before the battle. Um, they see a load of Cossacks um, scouting. Yep. We go, oh, yep. actually, we won't, we won't march across the frozen river. And then yep. it turns out, the whole battlefield, apart from where the French stood, is a frozen river. Right. And they drown everyone in one big go. Yeah, with cannon shots. And yeah. My understanding of it is that was like the edge, the southern edge of the battle happened. It happened to like less than a battalion. And and Napoleon genuinely did write it as a great thing that happened and sure. tried to, you know, he's big on propaganda. But sure. to this scale, it looks like um I'm trying to liken it to Gladiator again. It looked like the whole army had just got marched into one big trap, and that was that was Austerlitz. And if right. you went out of the battle, you'd be like, "Oh, those Russians and Austrians, they were just really stupid, weren't they?" And, like, and, and, that, and if you read the account of the full battle, that's almost like a footnote. Like, I think it would have been more interesting if they showed the camp before with the Russians and Austrians and Kutuzov saying, "No, this is a trap," and then him like falling asleep because he doesn't want to hear it anymore. And then if they would have shown the rush who went into Napoleon's camp and Napoleon acted timid and meek. So the guy would think he was a weak man. I think if they would have shown more of that and the Protestant Heights and his army moving off the Protestant Heights, yes. you know, the son of Austerlitz and the mist, like you said in your post, like, where's all that? Why, why not put that in the movie? That's yeah. more than a it, frozen pond. It would be really hard to capture, you know, Austerlitz was quite a dynamic battle. There was lots of movement. True. So, show one bit through Napoleon's eyes or show one bit through a single soldier's, you know, over his musket or something. Right. This bit that didn't happen, I was like, that's not the whole battle. I think to me, my question 
back to you is, is it entertaining? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. It, it felt like, because the army goes in, they then go, oh, we're on ice, and they run away, and they're all killed. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's entertaining. Um, where do, oh, we see it. There's the, I'm not sure who the director was, but there's the Kieran Knightley King Arthur movie, with Owen Griffith as Lance. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that has a whole battle where they just go on ice, and they march forward, and they one of the guys goes runs out, and he smashes all the ice to pieces, and all the Saxons, I think it is, fall through the ice, and that's the whole right. battle. Very similar to that. Maybe that's the look. Like, the, and it is. I mean, it's shot beautifully. The people, the horses, and the cannonballs going through the ice. It's yeah, very... the camera switches under the ice. A bit like uh, opening to Saving Private Ryan. The camera's yep. under there. The cannonballs are coming towards you. Yep. I was like, it's kind of entertaining. I'm not sure it's anything new. If you yeah. mix Saving Private Ryan with the old King Arthur movie uh, from the early 2000s, it's somewhere in there. I'm like, <clears throat> okay. Yeah. yeah. But that's not... we start, it started to feel like we're taking a downturn. We tried to do something really big here, and it, something the, the flavors off the mark. Yeah, and 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 <laughs> this isn't even the worst battle of the movie, so we'll, we'll get to that here in a minute. So we'll, we'll just say it was the second worst battle of the movie. Uh, it's fine, I mean, maybe Bordino because it's briefly shown, uh, very briefly shown. Yeah, um, um, let's skip a bit. We we go, the... we go, we go into Russia. Well, yeah. Well, and... I wanna, we, we missed the coronation. I'm going to go over that real quick. Oh, so we did miss the coronation. Sorry. Yeah. So I love this scene. And that it, good. I've never seen, I, mean, I, I don't know. I can't recall a movie where I saw a piece of artwork come alive like I did in that scene. Like that was it, it has spot on, nailed it. Other than Hippolyte Charles being there, I'm 99% sure Napoleon wouldn't have had that guy there. Uh, but everything else was beautiful, don't you think? Yeah, it was it was really stunning. That's the colours. There was a bit of a, uh, a soundtrack underneath it. Uh, thankfully, uh, the you actually see the official uh, painter, a chap called David, uh, surname. Uh, he's there, uh, and you see him painting that scene and the, yep. the crown going up onto his laurel wreath. Yeah, stunning. Again, the costumes, the, the fur trims, the gold. Uh, now that, that occurred in Notre Dame, which obviously is not available right now. It's being refurbished. Did, did they film that in, in the UK? Yeah, I think I think they filmed it in York. Uh, could be wrong, could, but it's certainly uh, an English uh, cathedral minster up north. And uh, yeah, it, it, it works from that point of view. If it's a big, stunning, vaulted uh, cathedral. Looks really good. As a visual, uh, it's up there. It's one of those scenes. It's, it's very different to where these uh, Scots Greys, the Royal North British Goons, come alive at uh, the Waterloo Epic, 1970. Mm-hmm. And that's, they, they, they put that in there on purpose. This, this was a nice homage. Uh, yeah. Almost, you wonder, like, oh, if he'd done the Crossing the Alps, obviously, did on the mule, there's that painting. If they'd done lots of those, that might, yeah. have, been a, might have been a good, better film. Uh, right, right. Yeah, yeah that was good. I like that. Stick to the artwork and just have that come alive. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, if we take that, and then we, let, let's skip to actually coming out of, uh, Moscow you were saying earlier that visually looks oh, really good I love that where he comes out of he's in his bedroom and he wakes up and Moscow is burning and you see the it's a shot of him from behind with his hat on and it's almost like instead of Moscow burning it's foreshadowing of, of his empire burning and just ending I thought that was brilliant I like that yeah, a lot the colors with it being nighttime and the oranges and yeah. everyone looking very confused yeah I think the the implication there that so much has gone wrong yeah, but we're we're jumping ahead a little bit. Let me let me get back to our timeline. There is, 
they introduced uh, Napoleon's mom, Madame Marais, or uh, uh, Leticia. And she's, they don't have any Napoleon sisters, thank goodness. Uh, but they no, have the mom. And she is kind of introduced as like, uh, I don't like this Josephine. I think you could have a baby. Here's this woman I have for you in the bedroom. And, yeah. and that part was kind of like crammed in there. It was just odd. It was crammed in. It was odd. Uh, but again, it was one of the stronger parts of the kind of uh, the story is that it pushing his relationship with Josephine apart. Right. Uh, and and I, I like that side of it. I, yeah. I went there for, expecting a war film and I liked the, the personal elements more. Uh, yeah, yeah. Me, I know I'm repeating myself, but that's that's how I felt. No, you're right. Because um, the just made me angry that they were so wrong. So you're right. Yeah. And yeah, yeah they, there's not all of the family. Uh, Lucian's the main one that they show. Uh, yeah. There's none of the sisters, which may, maybe they're in small scenes in the big epic, you know, for yeah. our cuts. But uh, and in Eugene are in there briefly, but that's that's about it. Yeah, um, Eugene's there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that moves on. He does get this mistress uh, pregnant, so they get divorced and. And there's that seems strange too, because obviously Josephine is crying, and she did. She cried in real life, but there's like a thing. So a slap, yeah, yeah. Where Napoleon's like, you know, yelling at her to sign this thing, and I'm again 99% sure that that didn't happen. I wasn't yeah. there. So I, I don't know. Uh, so I, I was just an odd. Ridley Scott says we weren't there, so we don't know. Uh... Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so they do. They get divorced and. And then Napoleon has a new wife, Marie Louise, who's barely in the movie for two. She seconds. arrives in one scene, like yeah. In, and then, in fact, I think you see her arrive, and then you see the baby. Yeah, and, and then, then like, brings, we definitely skip nine months. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. And then he brings the baby to Josephine to show it off, which you know I'm sure it did happen, but it was. Just I think an, that happened. Yeah, I think I was reading uh, that happens. Yeah, I'm sure it did, but it was just an odd scene. Like, why is that in the movie? You know, I, yeah. I don't, Again, maybe it's because they were building on the Napoleon Josephine relationship, and they've not, they showed another scene where they were divorced, and uh, he was like, "You're going to keep writing to me. You're going to keep writing to me." And she was like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. "I was like, yeah. oh, you didn't you didn't get like a vocal confirmation there." <laughs> <You just didn't. laughs> yeah, and, and and they did stay friends. That part is true, even though they got divorced. Like Napoleon still took care of her, gave her Malmaison, gave her money. So that part was accurate. They they remained close. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's again it's it's that relationship. It's the better part of the film. But uh, second wife, once I mean, lots of Bonapartes. They they never talk about her. They just talk about Josephine. And uh, we get one scene, and she's a pretty looking, meek young girl. And the character's not fleshed out any more than that. Yeah, yeah, and and they they show Tilsit briefly, or Napoleon and Alexander are flattering each other. But even that is like lost over really quickly. Um, yeah. I think that's too complicated to to get into two or three minutes. So use it or lose it. And yeah, yeah it, did it really add much to it? Not really. Yeah. yeah. So jumping ahead, as we do, to uh, the invasion of Russia, they show that, they show the hit and run tactics of the Cossacks. You know, I know mortars probably don't look like that, but it, it yeah, was. sled mortars. I was like, mm. couldn't say <laughs> they definitely didn't use them, but I was like, famously cavalrymen, like, show them as cavalrymen or yeah yeah but it, 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 it you get the idea of hit right. and run tactics like you say you you know that the cossacks or and they, they feel like like french, french soldiers nailed the trees it was a brutal right you get the you you start to get the brutality in uh, right i think there was a one or two shots where you see it like marching on a road and you started to feel like the front of the end of the column and i was like 
okay. They have decided not to use loads of CGI here. It's nearly always a bonus for me, but the scale started to feel quite small. I was like, this looks like it's a brigade of men rather than the Grand Army of uh, 1812. Right, right. So I started to lose the slight belief of this is a massive epic film again. Maybe that's just me, but... Yeah, no, I, I, start, I was also starting to lose interest. The pace here, we've gone from, I think we started in 1792 and we're up to 1812. It was like, oh, we've, we've covered a lot of ground and yeah, it's took the last hour and a half. Yeah, and they did have one bit that I like where Napoleon's handing out bread to his troops. And I wish they would have shown, again, you know, time limitations. His troops worshipped him and loved yeah, him. And true. And I saw he did tug on like one kid's ear throughout the movie. He did his ear tug, your famous ear tug. He pulled on their ear lace. But I, I wish they were still showing his interaction with the common soldiers because, you know, they would have run through a wall for for this man. And I, and I think that they didn't show, in addition to the strategy, they didn't show any of his strategy. They didn't yeah. show his dynamics with like the general soldier at all. Again, we've spent so much time on Josephine, politics, mm-hmm. um, international relations. We're now missing out on this. Do do, do, is it a war film? Is it a personal, or is it a little bit of nothing? Yeah, where yeah. you're trying to, where it's trying to be so much. You know, we're now seeing the campaign rather than the battle. We're kind of then missing out the battle because we're seeing soldiers march. You know, what we're trying to do here, and uh, yeah, I think by the time we got to Russia, my attention spans certainly was lacking. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what's coming next. Let's retreat from Moscow. Come on, <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, mine was kind of lagging too. Because, and I was, I was excited to see what Waterloo was going to look like. I was like, all right. yeah, is Borodino was like brief. Yeah, I don't know, like, why bother? Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, it must have been a big like day shoot with loads of extras lined up and drilled and. Yeah, maybe, maybe in the four-hour version, there's more to it. And then he gets to Moscow, and there's this weird scene where he's like, come out, little boy, I'm looking for you. And he's on the throne, and there's, like, birds crapping on it. Yeah. It felt like, um, I can't remember the series uh, exactly, but it definitely felt like Game of Thrones. It did, the yeah. The big throne room, uh, sitting on the, the, sword of, the, the throne of swords, and then they're actually not being the battle. I was like, oh, I think we've seen this recently in fantasy. Um yeah. I, again, you're kind of like, okay, you're sat on the throne. The camera lingers. Now what? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I can. All I can say to people if you haven't seen it, the pace is really strange in this film. It's it's like an old video cassette. Yeah. Someone's like pressing fast forward and then pressing slow mo. Yeah, you're right. It is. And, yeah. And yeah. Pacing is off. And then speaking of breakneck speed, next thing you know, he's abdicating his throne. Yeah, we go, and I think it even, like, voiceovers, historically correctly, to, it goes, oh, well, he's retreating. He's thinking it's December 1812. He abdicates and goes to Elba. And you're like, yeah. oh, okay, I get why you haven't done the 1813, 1814 campaign. Right. Um, I get why you haven't done Leipzig, because it's a massive, complicated battle. Um, but you haven't mentioned it. You haven't shown it. You haven't summarized it. Right. And, and, and It's weird. The decision-making of what is and isn't included is a right. very strange one. And you start off the movie with, you know, some brutal scenes, you know, Marie Antoinette and that horse getting killed and, um, you know, a Toulon. And then you have the opportunity to show how horrific the retreat was. And it was or, or show the bridging of the Berezina and all the men who died in that river. I thought we were going to see Berezina. Yeah. Um, and I thought actually, I think other people's theories that Ridley Scott's being anti-Napoleon, I thought we were going to see him retreating the sleigh. We just kind of see them plodding backwards through the snow for a couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah. So again, uh, I'm like, 
my attention is not being captured. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And then he's signing an abdication document and then he's off the Alba. And then, and then from that point, it just kind of goes off the rails. Josephine is somewhat seducing Alexander, which may or may not been true. I don't think it was. She was just having him over in Paris after Alexander conquered Paris with the allies. And in the regular timeline, she dies right there. She, you know, he's Napoleon's on Elba and she dies. But in this movie, they do something different, don't they? Yeah, we get a we get a long lingering death. We get a oh, Bonaparte's coming, and it's quite a long scene. And then yeah. and there's Bonaparte like a tabloid arriving to see her. Yeah, there's like a tabloid that he reads that the Czar is with Josephine at at his old house. You know, having a dance. Yeah, yeah. It's just strange. We get these fast bits, slow bits, personal yeah. bits. And now they did show. The great scene of the fifth regiment where he takes off his overcoat and says, you know, will you shoot your emperor? I did like that they put that in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I like this. did it. It seemed quite historically accurate. Um, I did see somebody put on social media, oh, if I was with the fifth regiment and it was uh, Yaquin Phoenix's Napoleon, I probably would have shot it. Um, <laughs> and, but it was because it was very different to Rod Steiger. In the, uh, I, I love the 1970 film. I right. really do. It's, it's one right. of my favorites. Right. And when uh, Rod Steiger's like, here I am, here's your emperor. Like, oh, that, you can hear a pin drop, can't you? It's like, right. oh, amazing. Oh, there's, there's also a lot more people. It also seems to be uh, the 5th Regiment. It seems about 20 guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which is what they do in Sharp. I know, right. it's one of my favorites. But it's like, oh, where's everyone else? And then right. they kind of like half-heartedly cheer and go forward. And you're like, okay, this is where we're definitely in an English park. And it's a nice little scene. Right. But, and then yeah. he gets the Malmazan and Hortense is like, oh, no, she died too late. Oh, she died. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it was quite... oh, she died. Yeah. Oh, she died. Yeah, like, oh, you're too late. It yeah. wasn't, it didn't add a lot. He kind of, they kind of look at each other for a while. Yeah. I was okay. like, okay, are we doing 18, are we doing the 181500 days campaign or are we doing that? Okay. So now. Okay. So now. We're, we're going to do Waterloo, but I wanted you to take a deep breath. <gasps> okay. All I'm right. so angry. <laughs> <laughs> okay now the one thing that they did get right was the rain all right that part well do uh, they do they <laughs> right because they get they get it raining like all morning until mm. 11 o'clock and what really happened is it rained the day before oh, very yeah. heavily and then a little bit in the morning and mm. what they're really waiting for is it to dry out and what mm. we get in the film is it's raining until the cannons fire and he fires as soon as it's rain stops. So, right. I'm, sorry, but even that, no, yeah. I do, I, I cannot, I, guess I am going to get angry, that I do not recognize Waterloo in those scenes. <laughs> Waterloo is it, on its simplest level. Uh, the battlefield, the main battlefield itself is two ridges with three farmhouses and a very important strategy of the Prussians arriving from the east. Mm -hmm. Uh, we get two ridges, both of which are covered in tents. Yep. There, there wasn't a tent city. Uh, yep. Neither of them worked from a tent. Uh, yep. Lots of flags. Lots yeah, of flags. loads of flags. Everyone's commented like this obsession with the flags. Uh, you can visit both Napoleon and Wellington's headquarters. They're now both museums. Uh, yep. So they didn't work from tents. Uh, Wellington here famously from the saddle all day. He's not yep. on a horse. Um, yeah, that was something that bothered me too. That's both weird. Both commanders were very static. I mean, they do show Napoleon later in a cavalry charge, but they're both kind of like, yes, that will do. Yes, yeah. go go now, Marshal Ney. Like, it just seemed very boring 
very very flat you don't get any sort of uh, dynamic from wellington or napoleon yeah yeah wellington was running from square to square he almost lost this battle like there's none there's none of that yeah he almost gets captured he almost gets killed uh, in the squares uh, and what instead of farmhouses, what we've got now is uh, it's been really lampooned is a series of trenches. Uh, with, <laughs> with and there's no and, trenches anywhere there. Yeah, I cannot stress this enough to anyone who hopefully, if you're listening to this, you've got a base knowledge, but there are not trenches, Doug. Uh, I don't really, I think there might have been over on the east flank some protection on some of the allied guns, uh, but we didn't really get uh, those kind of uh fascines and things built up around the guns which could have happened uh, they had a night in what they did do was fortify uh le Hougamont a little bit mm-hmm. with like a firing step and some uh, some holes in the wall that's about the like extent of it uh yeah as far they didn't as it goes. Have days and days to prepare this battlefield no they had they had one evening and they do a little bit on the farmhouses now the farmhouses aren't there you get these big drone shots so it's very clear that the farmhouses aren't there and the trenches are, and all the armies clustered in. Uh, from a British perspective, and I say British because that you do not see any allies. Nope. Well, but, you see Prussians coming from the west. So yeah, you get, and then you get the Prussians coming from the wrong side, from the west. They've hooped the whole way around the town and come in. <laughs> they, there's you had a big mix in the uh, Anglo-Allied army of different uniforms of Nassau, Dutch, Belgian, uh, German. Uh, right. Hanoverian, and but you don't get you just get red coats. There's a couple of artillery and some 95th rifles. When did Can we, we talk about that? <laughs> right. When did the Marcus Crib groan raising of arms occur? Was that the sharpshooter moment? When did that? So that though, so it, I had the trenches. I was groaning. Okay. Um, so the big one was uh, ob- obviously everyone knows that you start a battle by massive cavalry charge against trenches, right? Of course. That's- yeah, that's I mean, how I, one of the big military minds, I'm not going to say great, one of the big military minds of the era. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the, the French start the battle by launching a cavalry charge. In real life, it was attacks against Hougamont and uh, Derlon's corps marching up, uh, infantry, and a counter charge by British uh, cavalry. So mm-hmm. we just end up with a cavalry charge. And all, the, the best thing, if you had trenches with spikes out the front, you'd go, <laughs> okay, I can use this against cavalry. And the British get out of the trenches much forwards not backwards forwards onto the forward slope into the valley and form square well actually in real life they form square on the reverse but it was like trying to go okay from a historical point of view it's just rubbish now from a (laughs) if i don't know anything about the battle of waterloo but i've played napoleon total war right why have i left my defenses why have i marched towards the cavalry you know this is like a really basic military level it doesn't make any sense yeah i just worked all night on these trenches that didn't exist yeah I'll use those trenches. That'd be really useful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've just yeah. dug this. Uh, so I think that was the moment. And they, they formed square then. And uh, about that time, British countercharge with their cavalry, which is a bit strange. Then the Prussians come in from the wrong side. And they think they show a map early of the Prussians to the east. So they kind of line themselves up mm-hmm. for that failure. And Did then... Did you like the visual of the squares forming? I thought that looked kind of cool. Like- kind of cool, but the armies marched forward. In, uh, this is where I'll be a bit more of a nerd. Uh, the armies marched forward in three ranks, and the British worked in two ranks deep. So I was like, you got you got it wrong. Um, yeah, they formed squares quite neatly. You could tell that the extras had been uh, drilled there. That was a bit slick. Um, right. I'll give it to them. But there's so much negative. It's not <laughs> okay. going to... 
we're not we, we can't we can't shine that uh, uh dog do as they say no 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 we cannot uh polish and, that um, and everybody's in a melee at this point like you've got it's almost again like the opening to gladiator but without the good music that just everybody gets involved like you say napoleon gets on his horse jumps into the middle and he's hacking and slashing at red coats right in real right. life he had hemorrhoids he's got a really sore bum he's not he on his horse in a cavalry charge he does and uh like marshall knows like barely involved he's just carrying out orders uh and let's talk about the baker rifle real quick yeah let's <laughs> now i wasn't there you weren't there so we don't know yeah 100 wasn't it but I don't. Can you slap a telescope on a Baker rifle and say, "Oh, I'm gonna shoot the emperor"? And 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 I, I don't know. Like even in sharp, you know, they don't do this. So what they've got is somebody's got a telescope and he's uh, strapped it onto a Baker rifle, uh, an infantry pattern uh, rifle uh, from the 95th Rifles, and he's strapped it on and with rags, and then he's holding it on like a walking stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, a v-shaped walking stick which is not a very, very stable way to have a rifle you know you'd lie down or put right. on a log or sandbag or something like that i mean he's in a tr- he could be in a trench so he could lie on the edge of the trench it'd be more stable um sorry get, getting nerdy about marksmanship principles here. uh anyone who's <laughs> done armed forces any description would know what i'm talking about right uh, and you you do your breathing and you do your position anyway and what you're lacking on a telescope is any form of markings crosshairs we call them yeah Yeah, right so what you've got is a rifle and a zoom on it which if you haven't aligned it (laughs) it's just going to go forwards right so you're not aiming at anything and you can like put this in and scratch it in yourself like that's not how it works and i said it before we come on can i talk about rear sights well the thing about sights is you 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 fire them you get them aligned that they work yeah. And if you nudge them, like you, you hit your scope or anything, it's yeah. completely out. It will be, you'll be looking, you're looking at the target that's off. So holding on a round object onto another round object, that's the barrel, with, with straps, well, it's going to move. It's going to be really inaccurate. And you've got no, you've got no sights on it. It just would yeah. not work. And then he's I, like, oh, I think it's meant to be a homage to the, 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 uh, the epic 1970 film where Mercer from the artillery says, can we open fire on him? And he says, no, you can't. We've got right. to do the engaging the duel. Right. And then he yeah. does it anyway. Yeah. And then he shoots a, a weird looking hole in Napoleon's hat. Yeah. So like almost kill him. And I, I think I've gone from like laughing, groaning, laughing again, <laughs> head in my hands when I saw the, the sniper rifle, let's call it. <laughs> And when he takes the shot, I think I just threw my hands into the air and laughed. And there were other laughs. A wave wave of emotions in that. that Yeah. I mean, mostly comic. It just wasn't recognisable. It it wasn't even the ridges because there weren't the farmhouses. They had trenches. They were too close together. The the Prussians come in from the wrong angle. There wasn't the variation in uniform. Uh, Wellington's not riding around. It's the longest battle scene. And so they either could have simplified it or they could have gone more in depth. Right. What you see is like the worst video game version of Waterloo. Right. It's somewhere between embarrassing slash insulting to the guys who fought. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. I think it really could have been cut. Um, 
And then Rupert Everett as Wellington. So I want to like Rupert Everett as Wellington. When I saw the photos of him, I was like, oh, actually, it's not bad. Like, he's a good actor. Yeah, he's a good actor. He just, you just get like the two lines, which to be fair, he did kind of say, which is like, oh, well, he's just a peasant and upstarts. And he just looks like, he doesn't really want to be there. He's just like yeah. looking down on Napoleon. And again, yeah. n- no military prowess, just stands there. Yeah, and refers to Napoleon as vermin twice. I'm like, okay. <laughs> We get it, yeah. You don't like him. I mean, yeah. I sympathise. I don't like him either, but do something. You know, you're the Duke of Wellington. Lead your troops. Oh, Give some orders. God. But instead, yeah. he just stands next to a sniper, which yeah. he didn't have. And it's yeah. weird. And I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I really, really didn't enjoy it. Yeah, and, and he's like, on the penalty of death, you will not fire on him. And the guy does it anyways. Yeah. Does it anyway. And then yeah. slightly miss I can't think of what there was in that scene, like long scenes, that was accurate. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it was an entertaining battle. It's not like when they got into hand-to-hand combat, it was something, you know, Braveheart, famously inaccurate. But when they're getting into hand-to-hand combat, that's quite entertaining. Same as Gladiator, you know, they're throwing people over their shoulders. There's... Yeah, you're right, you're right. There was none of that. There was none of that. Excitement. But they're all fighting in the valley. So do something with it, Ridley Scott. You know, make me feel through the eyes of a... 17-year-old conscript who's got his bayonet on for the first time and then he gets right. kills someone and then he gets killed and he sees his friend die next to him or yeah. I don't know, give me something. Yeah. Give me something. Like even Return of the Jedi, they had two Ewoks die and you like felt, oh, you felt yeah. bad. Yeah. You still feel bad about the second right. Ewok. Right? <laughs> you know, they should have just thrown an Ewok in the scene and fine. It was yeah, just... at, at, the, at the Battlefield uh, Museum, Oh, at Waterloo. Go visit. It's really good. Um, they tell some of the story through the eyes of a French drummer boy who survives okay. the battle. And then yeah. like, the end shot is him with a drum banging, mm. surrounded by his dead friends, crying. Yeah. That gave me far more feels than Sir Billy Scott. Yeah. Yeah. And then they just kind of, you know, the one part they dig it, right? Napoleon lost the battle and they just kind of show him like, you know, yeah, going I, I was half expecting him to win at this point. It's so <laughs> badly done. Um, and he flies out on a on a Chinook. Oh no, wait, no, they cut that scene. Um, right. It's just bad. It, there's there is nothing to like about it. I don't. I, I didn't find it entertaining. I found it more funny. Right. And, and I, I probably missed saying something negative about it when we think back. <laughs> you know, it's sorry. Well, it's that bad. Just so my audience knows, you are a battlefield tour guide, and this is like a holy ground for you. How many times have you been to Waterloo? Do you think? Uh, at least seven, eight, nine times. I yeah, I've guided there four times at least. Uh, two mili- and uh, mostly to military groups. Uh, I've been uh, involved. You know about the Napoleonic Revolutionary War Ghost Charity that I'm a trustee of. I've helped support and I do support uh, uh, Waterloo Uncovered, which is a great charity that does uh, archaeology uh, on the battlefield using veterans and is part really? of their rehabilitation. And though I'm not involved with them, I support them and they do great projects. And shout yeah. out to all of them and all of the veterans and Tony Pollard, Stuart Eve, uh, and oh, there's so many more to to name. Great people. Right. And, and it's borderline a- insulting. Right. Like, <laughs> This is a hollowed ground to you. This is a very special battle. Oh, yeah, yeah, hugely. Um, when I when I do my guided tours, I, I finish with a one-minute silence. You know, there's about 25,000 people died and uh, dead and wounded. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, Wellington famously cries. You know, what, yeah, Waterloo means something uh, big to me. I know reenactors, you've had that ashes scattered there because it means something to them. It means something to a lot of people. Yeah. It drew the map of Europe. If Waterloo you- matters. Yeah, if you read accounts of it, it was hell on earth for 10, 15 hours. Like it was just a, yeah. a 
a, a devastating battle. And I just didn't get that feel from the didn't movie. Didn't get that. Um, I, I know that Napoleon's actually quite ill for lots of it, but your man, you're a fan of Ney, he's he's riding all around the place. He's doing loads. Yeah. Um, yeah, the 95th are doing lots, but they're in a sand pit. That's not shown. Uh, yep. La Haisance yep. is held by the King's German Legion. Yep. No, uh, no mention of Grouchy, none of that. Yep. No mention of Grouchy. Um, Blucher just kind of comes in. Uh, you could have done it all very differently, um, but just not like that. No. Okay. It, it's okay. gone from a film that wasn't holding my attention and was mildly funny and starting to get boring to just bad now. And that's yeah. why I like... I'm, I'm saying four stars, but I'd actually be pushing it down to like three if it wasn't for some of the earlier bits. If it wasn't for Vanessa Kirby's acting, yeah. I'd be going, it's like a two-star film. It, okay. And it, and it's not just that history is bad because oh, it's, it's tripe, but it's it's not entertaining. And I want a film to be fun. I, the Star Wars battles with Ewoks is a better <laughs> battle scene. <laughs> Go watch that. It's closer to Waterloo, right? They should just cut to that, like the Ewok battle, you know. <laughs> Oh man, I'm I'm now feeling emotional about the dead Ewok. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's it it really I cannot understand. If if I'm missing something, I'll hold my hands up and say I'm missing it. But I think if you, I went back and watched it again, which I'd struggle to do until the big version comes out, uh, I think I'd find more to dislike about the Waterloo scene. I I really feel like it was uh, All right. well. Let's 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 bad let's, bit of let's, let's wrap up just because the the movie's almost over at this point. Thankfully. There's, there's yeah right. There's two more ridiculous scenes we have to. Oh start. yeah. <laughs> Napoleon obviously abdicates a second time. And right. We, we, right, and we see him on a boat, having dinner using utensils. There's some looks like cabin boys watching him eat, and then Wellington strides in. I, I, I do you want to talk about this scene? I don't even know what to say about it. Yeah, so he's. On what is one of the world's most recognisable ships, HMS Victory in Portsmouth. Um, again, caveat, I used to work in Portsmouth Historic Dockyards as part of the museum, so I know it relatively well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very recognisable. You know, it's it's like you say, having the outside of the Notre Dame earlier, you recognise it's the Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's meant to be, I believe, the, uh, the Bellerafian, if not HMS Northumberland. So one of the ships, they were definitely smaller than Victory and it wouldn't have had a cabin that size. And uh, Wellington walks in, hits his head on a beam, which is like, is that maybe funny? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's the Duke of Wellington hitting his head, maybe. There's a thing to be said earlier uh, before we came on. We're like, the props department, they hide some things quite well in Malta. They hide like a public telephone box behind loads of posters. That's done well. Uh, Victory, for sensible reasons, has got loads of sprinklers on board because we don't want to lose a ship to fire. Mm-hmm. And you see all the sprinklers and all the pipes and all like the fire alarms. It's like, put a bit of cloth over it, guys. Hide mm-hmm. it. And then they have a conversation. Now, I've tried to do the maths um, before. The closest Napoleon and Wellington get uh, is probably just for the Imperial, or during the Imperial Guard attacks. Uh, Napoleon rides up to just south of La Haisance, and Wellington is roughly around the area where today the Lion's Mound is. So, so it's couple less hundred, than half a mile. Yeah. A couple hundred yards. A couple hundred yards. A couple hundred meters. It's in that vicinity. It's under a mile, definitely. Okay. They do not have breakfast. I, I the only thing I can think in my head is that as entertainment, you gotta have a scene where getting back to Star Wars, Luke Skywalker meets Darth Vader, or Billy the Kid meets Pat Garrett. You gotta have the good and the bad meet, I guess. Maybe that's what they were doing. And that's what they're doing. I I'm happy to take Napoleon being the bad guy and Wellington to be the savior if you want to give it to me. 
However, Wellington's been in this film for so little, it doesn't have that crescendo. Right. I don't, you know, we, it's not like we've been following Wellington's career because they don't meet, you know, they don't find the good, the good, the only good thing from that scene is Napoleon talks about uh, he, his desire to retire as an English country gent. He says, I think I like the Cotswolds. And he does say something along those lines. He believes the British government will make, give him a, an estate and some land in England. And he's massively deluded. Right. Uh, to think that that's where I think the movie's trying to go. Um, having, Wellington there doesn't really add anything to that. No. And it's no. a bit awkward. He's like eating breakfast and yeah. yeah. Like if you're going to have that scene, have some really biting dialogue or, 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 or something intriguing, but it's, it's almost like a throwaway scene. Like, why is that here? I think Rupert Everett's lines, you know, would have been cutting if they'd met uh, as a what if, I don't know, I can never be in the mind of one of those men. Uh, but I think they would have been a lot more snide to each other, cutting, maybe even angry. Right. Um, just not this kind of like calm breakfast where he's like, oh, by the way, you're going to exile. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and what was that? I don't know why it was put in. Uh, they could have still had him on the Bellerafian. Uh, that's fine. That's a nice shot of him watching out to sea. Yeah. Just one of those things. Again, by this point, I've given up effectively <laughs> watching the film. I'm like, Cool. You're you're almost walking out of the movie theater at this point. Yeah, I I think I'm I was really struggling. I'm really non I'm really blasé about it. <laughs> it's just we've suspended disbelief so far, right. but I'm not entertained. I'm not in historic, and oh, we're going to go to Saint Helena. Yeah, all right. And I thought because the opening shot on Saint Helena is a close up of the wallpaper, and I was like, no, please don't give us the arsenic wallpaper. Please don't. <laughs> I was begging. No, they didn't do that. They, they didn't do that, thankfully. They showed two girls having a sword fight with sticks, two young girls. Yeah, I believe point. one of them is Betsy Balcom, uh, who's the daughter of one of the officers there. Uh, and that and he and Napoleon did build up a relationship with Betsy Balcom. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, that, that was a thing. No, it seems fine, you know, and he briefly mentions how his marshals let him down and how he burned Moscow or how the Russians did. And then he falls over dead. It's just such an odd yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, if you're being really generous, you could argue, oh, he's not falling over dead, he's falling over from his many bouts of ill health. But that's not what they show. They show him full sideways, like a cartoon character. Yeah. Bump, like fully 90 degrees. If you were feeling really ill and you're at a table, you'd fall forwards or backwards, not just off the chair. Like that. Yeah. And then it's just got, the, and then it's just got the end script of like Napoleon died. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminded me of Godfather 3, which nobody saw, but at the end, no. Michael, Michael Corleone just kind of falls over and that's the end of the movie and it's like alright you know I guess we're done now you know and it, and there's some postscript about you know Napoleon's reign and this and that it, I don't, it was just an odd ending it was an odd ending uh, I thought they were going to give us um, again one of the famous paintings of Napoleon on his deathbed surrounded by his entourage that would have been cool that would have been, been quite cool yeah like you would have shown who's there who's not there they could have they didn't show many of those characters in the film, so it would have been difficult kind of to be like all oh, these people there. They could have done it wrong and shown us with Ney and Josephine's face and things like that. They they show they show, they, they show then in the postscript his last words, um, yep. France, army, Josephine. Yeah. Again, why I think it should have been a Josephine in the Napoleon film. Yep. And then they show a list of the deaths caused in his battles. Right. But only like five battles, uh, which is a bit strange. Yeah. <laughs> then there's a bit that's like quite anti-Bonaparte, which is like, oh, and all these men died because of uh, Napoleon. I was like, oh, that, yeah. that pleases me a little bit. I slightly agree, but uh, I think like some people are going to rip you apart for that. 
Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know why that had to be in there. Uh, I didn't like that really, Scott, just for the record, if you're listening. <laughs> you're um, going to upset a lot of people with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So, all right. So <laughs> we're through this movie. And I did read another review that was kind of accurate. Like, why can't Hollywood get Napoleon's story right? Because as you mentioned, there's a 1970s story, Waterloo. There's been other attempts to get this story down. And somebody said maybe Napoleon's life is too epic. Like, it's so unbelievable that it's hard to put on a screen. Maybe, but they've done it with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's, there's other biographies. And, uh, you know, it's, maybe I'm saying that because I'm not a big fan of Napoleon. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I am. I'm, I try, always try to be open about my bias. But if you can do other films about other great people, they're sure they can do that. When I first heard about this film, I don't know when they first announced it, what, two and a half, three years ago, it was meant to be about his rise to power. Mm-hmm. And I think if it roughly ended with his coronation, mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, Austerlitz maybe soon after, yeah. um, that would have been about right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you know, narrow your scope. We're talking about sharpshooters before. Like, just kind of focus in on one area. Like, I would have loved it if it was just, the building of the bridge over the Berezina and how we got there. Like that would have been interesting too. They could have just done basically the Russian campaign. We could have just done roughly 1810, the build up and all of that bit to 1813 and the retreat. Yeah. And cut three to- years. Would have, as, there's so many stories to tell. There. Yeah. Yeah. We could have done, you could have done one battle or again, like I said, many times tonight, uh, you could have just done him and Josephine, but there was, the, I don't think, I think what it comes down to for me is, by putting in another two hours of footage, this isn't going to make the film better by right. telling more stories. Even if they suddenly give a an hour of Italy, uh, right. I know uh, you could. Let's, let's, let's be honest. This film would not be safe if they put an hour of Peninsula War in, and I'd love that a lot. I was going to say, if they added another twenty minutes of Waterloo, you might have no, Martin. no, no less Waterloo. <laughs> Honestly, right, right. Waterloo could have. It should have just been them looking at each other through their telescopes and then fade to black. Done. Was, yeah, yeah. Was... yeah. You know what? That, that actually, yeah, exactly. The rain stops and then it, that's it. That's the end just of the movie. Yeah. Just cut to Napo- uh, Napoleon leaving. And I mean, he doesn't even leave correctly. He leaves on his horse and he yep. his carriage and, uh, and and Wellington crying at the battle. I mean, that would have actually, that, the human connection there would have been better. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Wars, if they put in more footage of Waterloo, oh, it can only make it worse. That's yeah. how bad it was. Well, I think the film did know what it wanted. Uh, your analogy of a bus journey is right, but it feels a bit like the bus driver got like the map wrong. <laughs> <laughs> or he got drunk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, and let's talk about it. You know, Ridley Scott coming out and telling academics uh, or historians, you know, I never label myself one, um, but he's telling people that they don't know what they're talking about because they weren't there. Right. Now, who is going to see a film about Napoleon? It's going to be people interested in Napoleon's life. Yeah. And, that's, your, that's your target audience. Yeah, and the history doesn't end just when Napoleon dies. Like, you know, memoirs are found, like Marshall McDonald's or, or um, Marbeau's, or uh, General Goudin's body is found in Russia in 2019. Like, it doesn't end just because there's no, like, no book coming out about Napoleon that's new. Like, there's always things we're learning about this, this time era. And um, I think for him to say that was kind of off base. Yeah, it, I think it alienated so many people um, there. It's it, it was getting people's backs up before they seen the film, which is a really bad idea. Yeah, um, yeah. I I don't know. It's 
make it's marking it out to be one of them the bad films of the year rather than one of the epics yeah. and you're going here's a director who doesn't care about his target market you know we're not he's not going oh well it's a kid's film so i don't mind about but the some people, it's not a kid's film it's for people who enjoy the era some people liked it though i see these critics who are like awesome epic movie of the year and i'm like what movie Maybe they saw the four-hour version. I, I don't know, but they... yeah, I've seen. I've only seen. I think like two historians who said I liked it, and I'm just. I have to say to them in the nicest way, because uh, obviously I respect their opinion. They've probably got some much more in-depth knowledge of areas than I don't. I, but I really say, really, did did we watch the same film? Like, <laughs> I just apart from costumes, locations, yeah, weapons were semi-accurate. Weapons okay. Vanessa Kirby's acting. Yeah. Some of the animal support acting was good. The horses and dogs, genuinely, because I know it's very difficult to do. That was actually lots good. Of dogs, lots of dogs. And There's lots of dogs. I, I like, I like, I like the dogs. It's like I said in the beginning of this episode, I'm not a filmmaker. Ridley Scott's made some great films, yeah. and could I make a better Napoleon movie? Probably not, because I'm not a filmmaker. But I, I almost want to get with Marcus and Bookish Rachel and Dr. Zach White. And just write our own movie and see if it, it could be better than this. I, I think it's disappointed so many people. And that's what I'm also really um, going off on. If I say to you, I'm, I'm disappointed in you, that's cutting. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, get, I don't get angry very easily. Right. And I think as a lot of people were like, finally, we're getting a 21st century Napoleon movie. You know, the last like, few have been early 20th century. There's famously a black and white silent movie about him. Yep. Like we're gonna get the big one with the special effects, the thousands of extras. It's gonna look really cool. Yeah, this isn't it. And I, one of my good friends texted me earlier saying, "This was the opportunity to have an amazing film about a fascinating character. This isn't it." Now, with that said, and I sent you the article before, it has made a good deal of money this weekend. Now it's opening weekend, and and I'm happy to hear that because maybe they'll make other films for this era. What did I say? 200 million already or something like that? Um, so I think you said it's taken 75 million. Yep. Um, the budget was 200 million. So it probably has to take like 400 million is the, the maths. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. Like when there's a World War I film that comes out, all the World War I historians are like, oh, that patch is wrong. They didn't right. have that bayonet until later. Right. And, and they because there's a lot of stuff you can do with Kit because you can you can see the date that it was issued you can see it's trained on it you can get really nerdy about that right. i can get nerdy about kit i like you know the sniper rifle is an exception because it's like a homebrew thing right the rest of the kit seems pretty good yeah. uh, i didn't go out with a magnifying glass it seemed like it was done quite well by the military historical advisors um i i, I want napoleonic films i want something done about let's do one about Murat or Ney. Let, I want one on um, one into the Spymaster, Colcahoon Grants. I heard a rumor there's one about Nelson. I actually prefer ones about the less famous people. Um, yeah. Give me one about a guy called Sergeant Lawrence in the Peninsula War or a Rifleman Harris. You know, give me one about the ordinary soldiers. Yeah. Um, and I think there, Spielberg's working on a seven part series. So I'm, I'm anxious to see what that turns out. Yeah. But we're giving it on Napoleon. And I'm like, give somebody else a go. I don't know. It doesn't have to, it does, obviously I want well, not Wellington. It doesn't have to be Wellington. There's so many characters out there. Do Talleyrand, do Fouché, you know, Spymaster. There's, there's loads of good, I mean, that's, actually that's wrong. There's thousands of great stories yeah. out there. That's um, the basis of my podcast is all these supporting characters. All those the- men and women. And right, the, right. the best thing about this film is that Josephine, I think, was well acted. Yeah, just underwhelming. And I, and I went in with a low bar. I went in like, you know, and I, I read reviews. And I'm like, all right, maybe it won't be that bad. But it, it was, 
I don't know what to say. It's fine for entertainment. If you don't know about Napoleon, it's maybe can bring you up to speed a little bit about him. But for you and I, who know a lot about him, it's it, it was kind of underwhelming. Yeah, and I don't know if you knew next to nothing about Napoleon other than he was like a general, he was a guy, or as I once had a uh, American tourist, sorry for you to say this, uh, American tourist say to me, oh, is he the guy who's married to Marie Antoinette and fought the battle by Waterloo Station? I'm like, that, that's some <laughs> people's base knowledge. That is, that's what they think. Right, and, with the funny um, hat, short guy, yeah, exactly. And um, you kind of, okay, at least they're in the right place. At least they're interested, we're talking about it. Would they come out? Yes, probably. They'll probably know more about Napoleon. Um, I think they'll probably come out being anti-Napoleon. Now, is that a good thing? That's a whole different discussion. Um, but they would have got a lot of very strange information, very mixed stuff. Uh, if it opens up more people to learning about the era, you know, downloading podcasts, other films, go yeah, and visit some battlefields, all that's good yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I just, but I just don't think it's the film that's doing that. I don't know. No, well, the bones are there. Like I said, like there's good scenes, but the movie itself doesn't come together. No, I, I was just so disappointed. I really did try to go in with an open mind, knowing that, you know, there's going to be bits of Napoleon's life I don't know about. So it'd be like, oh, that could have happened. Yeah. I've, you know, I've read like three or four biographies of him. There's loads of other ones. There's, uh, much more information, other documentaries, other podcasts that I probably haven't listened to every single one because that's not my area. And I'm just like, yeah, but you failed to entertain me. You failed to uh, hold close enough to some semblance of history on the big important things. And I'd say that many people who really know about anything about Napoleon, they probably know that Waterloo, whether the battles fought at the train station or uh, in Belgium. We come, a lot, we come away just thinking Napoleon's an egomaniac who, oh yeah, he might have had a second wife. I don't really hear anything about her. He was a bit yeah. strange in the bedroom. And uh, at the end of the day, him and Wellington had a funny breakfast. And I was like, okay. Yeah, he doesn't come off as a brilliant man at all. No, like, he really like, doesn't. He could, he was probably the best multitasker in the world. Like he, you know, in the same conversation with the secretaries, he could talk about, you know, taxation system of the central bank and the rules for a new boarding school in France and the strategy of the army in the field and how many soldiers uh, Berthier needs for supplies and cannons. And he just had a remarkable capacity for delegating and giving orders and handling things. And they don't show any of that. We don't get any of that. Every battle was just kind of is him stood in the cannon line shouting fire. Um, I mean, famously, he helps sight cannons, you know, look along the barrels. He doesn't do that yeah. in the film. Um, he just kind of fires a cannon and the battle's over. Uh, we we don't get any of his detail. Uh, we don't get some of the more controversial bits, like his massacres, his looting. So we don't get yep. we don't get the great. We don't get the evil. And uh, no, even no. with Wellington, we don't get him being a strategic master. He just stands there. We don't go in depth with anybody, and I don't think more hours no. of footage is going to do that. I think it's no battle, no, no, no Porto at all. No battle of Porto. <laughs> I would be very surprised if we suddenly get two hours added in for the battle of Porto, <laughs> uh, which having seen the Waterloo and Austerlitz, I, you know, they're probably oh, crossing yeah. the boats yeah. in uh, helicopters. Yeah. Um, God, no, they would have massacred that. that they massacred that so badly. Yeah. So I, if you haven't seen it, maybe save your dollars and wait for it to come out. Well, um, 
Thank you, my friend. That was uh, very comprehensive. I think we covered uh, just about all bases there. And we'll probably have to do a second episode when the uh, four-hour version comes out. Yeah, I'll probably force myself to watch it. But probably <laughs> in like two sittings. And I, I just, and I think if that's coming up to it going, mm, you know, well, you're a fan of the man in the era. I'm a fan of the era and his defeat, let's say. Uh, I wouldn't watch that film again. Uh, well, some encouragement. for no other reason, I want to see what ended up on the cutting room floor. Like True. maybe those were the better scenes than the one he's he put in. You know, correct? Yeah. What what's there? But I I have slight anticipation about that. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, again, um, if you guys want to check out more uh, about Marcus Cribb, please check him out on Twitter or on dukeofwellington.org. And thank you, my friend. That was great. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed getting that off my chest as well. And uh, <laughs> hopefully, people. Uh, We'll take away their own sides uh, from that as well. Yeah, indeed. I won't right, well, the debate. Thanks. Yeah, thanks again, Marcus. I appreciate it. Thank you, my friend.